Okay, I'm on. So tonight we're going to finish up our uh, study of the Bible in seven passages. Tonight our passage is going to be John chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. Let's say a quick prayer before we get started. Precious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to have this day. We thank you for the many blessings you bestow upon us. Thank you for this time we have to come together and study your word and help us to gain much knowledge and use it in our everyday lives. Thank you so much for your son Jesus and his willingness to die on our behalf. This acts in his name. Amen. The Bible in seven passages. Passage number seven, the promise fulfilled. The premise of our study is that big tech government mainstream media has joined academia and the military to ban the Bible from society because it has been deemed subversive. So some of the stuff we've heard already, but we're going to go over it a little bit again. So, The Bible is no longer sold in bookstores. Digital copies have been permanently deleted. Even libraries in most homes don't have them either. Perhaps there's probably a few people that still have Bibles in their homes, but for the most part, Bibles are out of it out of homes as well. The challenge of preserving and spreading the core message of God's word becomes an issue of importance. As stated earlier, this is the futuristic idea. How can God's word be preserved and spread without proper, proper materials? One suggestion was to select and memorize seven passages from the Bible to continue your walk with God and share it with others. Now, that part with sharing with others, you're not going to have everything, so it's going to have to rely on what you have, what else you have besides the seven passages in your mind to share with others. And I say this, they will just have to trust what you say and what you tell them. Hopefully, you'll be telling them the truth and telling them what, God, what you know from God's Word to be true. The author of this study has chosen seven passages from the Bible, 66 books, to assist Christians in their journey without God's Word. We're going to read those seven passages now. Passage number one. Genesis, verse, Genesis chapter one, verse one. The prelude to the promise. God's creation. Genesis one, verse one. Is a foundational verse in the Bible. Because it not only explains how the world came into being. But who created it. Genesis chapter three, verses one to twenty-four. God's promise to fallen man. This passage explains how man and the creation came to be in their present fallen in their present fallen and imperfect condition. It introduces a promise of redemption in the future. Passage <coughs> excuse me. Passage number three, Genesis chapter eleven, verse twenty seven. Genesis chapter 12 verse 7 the person of promise historical God's promise to God's promise is given a human identity that can be traced through the history of the Jewish people passage number 4 Isaiah chapter 53 verses 1 through 12 the people of promise spiritual the person of promise I'm sorry spiritual 
God's promise is identified through prophecy, which describes the person and mission of that promise from a spiritual perspective. Passage number 5, John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, the promise revealed. This details the promise are clearly revealed and explained. Passage number 6, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, the promise realized. Paul explains how the promise is realized in a, pro- in a person's life here on earth through the effects of grace on those who receive the promise through faith. And passage number seven, our passage for the night, for tonight. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 3, the promise fulfilled. The seventh passage describes the final state of all who believe and remain faithful to the promise as they pass through the earthy to the heavenly, to the eternal heavenly realm. And now we read uh, our passage number seven. John chapter 17, verses 1 through, three, one, 1 through 3. Jesus spoke these things and lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that all whom you have given him, may give, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. I have a question about that, about that passage there. Um, I was reading somewhere, and someone made the reference that that was the real um, Lord's Prayer. Has anybody heard that before? Heard anything like that before about that passage? As opposed to Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 11? No? Okay. Just thought I'd put that out there. I kind of, as I was reading through my research, I kind of saw that somewhere and thought it'd be interesting to see who had a different idea about it. This was part of the Savior's teaching, encouragement, and prayer offered after the Passover meal in the presence of the apostles right before his arrest that led to his crucifixion. In the passage just read, Jesus is speaking of the suffering, death, and resurrection he will go through in the coming days. Jesus also mentions the glory he will receive from the Father. It confirms his exalted status as the divine Son of God. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. And it reads, And who was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. In simple terms, Jesus states that, states the essence of the promise made by God in the garden, carried forth through history by the Jewish nation, confirmed by the prophets, and now about to be realized by his atoning death on the cross, and proof of attainment, for all believers who all believers through his glorious resurrection. He signals to believers that God's promise of eternal life was about to be made possible. 
And the proof was his resurrection from the dead. The promise and the fulfillment of his own resurrection was enough to give hope and joy to followers, to his followers. But he goes a step further and describes the nature of his eternal life. Along with revealing that believers will live after death, but he describes what the, ex the existence will be like. Not how long we will live, which is forever, but the experience. John chapter 17 verse 3, this is eternal life, that, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The essence of the eternal life is experience of knowledge and the experience continues without end. Because of and through the Holy Spirit, the believer will experience the feeling of his being with knowledge. In this passage, the word, the word know means the intimate knowing of another with understanding, appreciation, enlightenment, and awareness. We will know the true and living God as well as have the same knowledge of God the Son. This will be possible for two reasons. We will possess a glorified body after our own resurrection from the dead. So, um, we will possess a glorified body after our own resurrection from the dead. Now we're going to read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 through 49. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a, a living, a life-giving spirit. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from earth earthy the second man is from heaven as is the earthy so also are those who are earthy and as is the heavenly so also are those who are heavenly just as we have been born in the image of the earthy we will also bear the image of the heavenly the glorified body allows us to be in, pre in the presence of God no harm will come to the glorified body because it cannot sin and it cannot die.
Holy Spirit will, will enable our spirit to interact, interact with God. The Holy Spirit helps us overcome sin and live according to God's will. The same Holy Spirit will enable resurrected believers to experience the never-ending gift, growth of the knowledge of God and Christ that is referred to as eternal life. So every religion has an afterlife scenario. Atheism, no life or consciousness after death. Hinduism and other earth eastern religions say that individual consciousness merged with a higher force. Other monotheistic religions see that afterlife as a perfect version of the life on earth where physical and emotional appetites are satisfied. Biblical Christianity Anity teaches that life after death is primarily focused on heightened understanding and knowledge of God of the Godhead of which through Jesus Christ believers have become a part. This means that a believer will have a relationship with God based on knowledge and appreciation, not sin and death. Sin and death are part of the physical world which will be passed away in judgment destruction and memory. Believers will live in the perpetual now and will no longer experience the yesterday, today and tomorrow context that measured their physical existence. Eternal life consists of an ever-growing and dynamic relationship between God and believers within the Godhead in the eternal life, in the eternal now. Eternal life will be based on unfettered adoration and not service. Service was necessary in the physical world because of the various needs that arose on account of sin. Christians serve the needs of others, even the need to evangelize, because in doing so, we're we're fulfilling God's commandment to love and serve others in the name of Christ. There are no needs in the Godhead, but there will always be the natural impetus for the created to worship the Creator. This worship will no longer be impeded by human weakness, ignorance of sin. Eternal life will permit worship that is in spirit and truth because it will be enhanced and informed by ever-increasing knowledge and understanding of the object of worship the true and living God. Eternal life will be an existence not only anticipated but fully realized and experienced. The Christian believer begins to experience the eternal life that he anticipates after death in the present life. Unlike many other religions where the afterlife reward is only received after death, the Christian begins to experience his afterlife reward in the present life. For example, the follower of Jesus is promised the joy of his sinless existence in heaven, but actually begins to taste what that is like when he becomes a Christian by expressing his faith in Jesus through a repentance and baptism. Acts chapter 2, verses 37-38. According to this and many other verses in the New Testament, Acts 22, verse 16 Sins are actually forgiven at baptism because God has provided an atoning sacrifice to remove sin. Isaiah 53 and verse 5, 1 Peter 
chapter 2, verse 21 to 25. The Christian, therefore, receives actual forgiveness now and experiences the corresponding relief, joy, and gratitude and peace in this world because his sins are forgiven now, not only in the future. His eternal life is guaranteed now even before he goes to the next world. The knowing of God and the reward of this knowledge is possible in this life but will be fully realized when all the obstacles to this end that exist in this world are removed in the next. We will exist within the Godhead, not part of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28. Jesus' ultimate mission was to bring man into the Godhead. 2 Timothy, verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Jesus changed the composition of his divine nature to include a human nature. He did not discard or change back his nature to eliminate his altered state after he ascended to heaven. Note that he appeared to the apostles and ascended back into heaven in his altered nature as as Jesus, the God-slash-man. Our faith in God and our belief in Jesus Christ will grant us an eternal life which will allow us to forever know and experience the things only God knows and experiences. And in word, this ultimate knowledge and experience is perfect. Eternal love. We know that this is the nature of the knowledge and understanding that eternal life within Godhead will bring believers to because John tells us that this is, the essence, this is the essence of God's being. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. First John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has, been, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and, he li- and he lo- his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. It's 1 John chapter First John chapter four, four verses eleven to fourteen. That's it. Note that love is a touchstone for everything done by God to give believers eternal life. 
Love was the basis for which the promise was made, sent, and completed. Love is also the basis for the rationalization and fulfillment of the promise. Love from the beginning is to the everlasting end. This is why all sin is, in fact, violence against love in, in one way or another. Hell, therefore, is an existence without love, which ultimately is no existence at all, since existence cannot be sustained without a measure of love. Therefore, hell does exist, but does not. But there, but those there cannot be sustained forever. And in this is seen the judgment and mercy of God, in that those who go to hell go to the real dimension of mind and sense of suffering, but cannot survive there. Mankind's end, therefore, is either intimate love. Loving knowledge of God within the God here forever, or the separation from God into nothingness forever. So, in summary, let's hope that God will spare us this type of future I have, that we've been talking about in this series. A future where access to the Bible is denied or restricted. A future where we would be forced to carry an abbreviated form of it is just to of it just to summarize this message and pass it on to others. I'm not sure this could be done considering our laws, but there are many who would like to see it done. And that's it. There we are. And that's the end. Are there any questions? Any comments? in the beginning oh, right there <laughs> it was a slight operator error so we have those seven passages there, which um, encompasses all 66 books of the Bible. Uh, less to remember, but at the same time, just as in-depth and intense. So here's the question. Would you guys look at those verses for a moment? I think we've all read them before at one time or another. We've heard somebody preach on them at one time or another. Is there, um, let's say your mind was like mine and you're only good for one, <laughs> okay? You're only good for one, not seven. So which one of those would be the one that you would work to make sure that you have memorized and possibly why?
Genesis 1 and 1 because number one, it's the easiest to remember. (laughs) Number two, it started everything. It is the beginning. So without Genesis 1 and 1, we wouldn't have none of the other books. So that would be the easiest one for me. Anyone else? Well, I can go back to um, being in first grade, and we had to do memory verses every Monday morning, which was very easy for the kids that actually went to church on Sunday. (laughs) You're digging at a kid that didn't go to church on Sunday. So... I had no idea what a verse in the Bible was. I had no idea what a passage in the Bible was. I didn't realize there was such a thing as a verse or a passage. And these kids that went to church on Sunday, they were saying all of these things. And one of the ones that the kids said a lot was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And, and Sister Liz, you're so right. You take, one, you take Genesis 1 and verse 1 out, then the rest of it is a moot point. But you need it. And it's neat, if you guys have looked at these, how they have a, a pattern, if you will. They have a pattern as it builds up, like, a, like playing music. That music reaches that high note, and you can t- feel the intensity in it. Well, here's the same thing. By the time you get to John 17, verses 1 through 3, you've reached that high point. You see that intensity of what God is saying, because it says the promise is fulfilled. And going back to what Sister Liz says, when you go back to Genesis 1 and verse 1, that was the prelude to the promise that would be fulfilled. And we can see all the way through these seven passages, it's about the promise, it's about the promise, it's about the promise, it's about the promise. And and that is so neat. That is so neat. But we hope, (laughs) we hope we never come to a point where the Bible would not be available. That we never come to the point where we have to, well, I know they're doing this in countries, but we're not having to do it in America, but we're hoping we never come to the point in America where we have to hide our Bibles because uh, the authorities are saying you can't have that. And this is something I think if you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to stop talking really, but I think this is something really if you were going to teach somebody the gospel, you can take these seven passages, start at Genesis 1 and verse 1, and by the time you get to John 17 verse 3, they should be able to make a decision whether or not they want to put on Christ Jesus in the waters of baptism. I think Willard Holliday used to call his, um, I forget the term he used for it, but he had these seven steps. Well, just the one step right here is to go through these seven passages. Just sit down and read it with the person and talk about this and nothing else. If they want to start talking about whether or not Adam had a navel and all of that stuff, I tell them this is what we're working on right now. Once we get through this, then we'll deal with whether or not there was a navel or not. Right now, let's get you from point A to point Z. Point A is your lost. Point Z is this is your hope and this is your, your salvation. So, so uh, Nathan, I thank you, man, for jumping in here with me on this. This is the second or third time you and I have partnered up on this. So, so all I got to do is defer. <laughs> <laughs> is there anyone else? Any other comments? 
right, you got so, it, man. So as I was as I was doing the study, though, I think um, the fifth and sixth kind of stands out more to me because it's like you're saying you get to that high point, and then when you get to um, passage number seven, it starts to settle down, and you see where everything is gonna gonna settle out, um, smooth out, and be okay. Thank you all for your attention. We should have a, a devotion and um, some announcements pretty soon.